But I want to talk about turning worry points into trust points. So look at the scripture. We'll let you be seated, and we'll kind of jump through um, kind of some of the stuff we've talked about previously, and then uh, some stuff kind of take this to the next level. So turning worry points and trust points. Philippians chapter 4 is our scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless this word today. I pray that you would change us. And I pray that you would uh, just help us today take another step towards reducing the level of worry and raising the level of trust. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, I'm going to give it a little bit of review, um, some of the things we've been talking about, and I'm not going to preach these. I'm going to exercise discipline as I move through this uh, part of the message, but I did want to kind of uh, touch on these again to, to um, what was intended to be an introduction ended up being uh, a two-week message. Those are out on our podcast. You can listen to a little more of uh, the exposition of this, but I did want to touch on these. Uh, first of all, is what, what are worry points and why do they matter? Uh, I define worry points as unique, custom-fitted strongholds of fear, rooted deep within our souls and thinking. How many know that worry is a a general problem for everyone? But all of us could probably name a top three things that we consistently worry about. Uh, Worry points are unique. They are custom-fitted. And they're strongholds, which is uh, a biblical term that really talks about the idea that, that a stronghold is a strong, um, consistent way of thinking that has a hold on you. Have you ever had a way of thinking that's got a hold on you? That's what a stronghold is. And worry many times can become a stronghold. They're deep within our souls and our thinking, and they often disturb our peace. They often rob us of joy and enjoyment of things we should be enjoying in life. Worry uh, often becomes a stronghold, and I wrote this down, I'm going to put it in here, Uh, just talk about, is it possible, next slide, is it possible to miss God's gift of joy in the moment worrying about something that may never happen in the future? And my nice theological uh, answer to that is, yep. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, yep. Yep. I mean, have you ever found yourself missing what God is doing in the moment? So consumed at something that hasn't even happened yet. Worried about losing the job that you're going to every day. Worried about losing the relationship that you still have. Worry uh, can't rob our joy in the moment and steal from us that which God wants to give us concerning our life. And and let me say this, because, um, and I'm being intentionally practical and simple here because I think sometimes we shout about things that have no absolutely no connection to our everyday life. But the real indication of revival, Pastor Rob, is that it's working on Monday. So if I shout about it on Sunday, but it's not working on a Monday, then I'm missing something. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
or I might paraphrase, I have come that you could have a life. He's not opposed to us enjoying the life that we have. But if you're like me, I've often found myself sitting in the midst of the moment with my grandkids that are in the room and my kids that are in the room, missing the moment, worrying about what is coming next. And I felt the Holy Spirit convict me to say, I want to give you joy in the moment. But too often the worry of what is to come steals the gift of God in the moment. Am I talking to anybody in here today? And so it can rob us of joy and enjoyment of the things we should be enjoying. It can paralyze us at the doors of season of opportunity or cause us to quit or downgrade expectations in the midst of seasons of opportunity. Listen, Peter had to override some worries to step out onto the water. But isn't it interesting that he dealt with worry to get out of the boat, but in the middle of the walking, he ended up still sinking. Have you ever had a worry that you were able to overcome to get into a season, but when you got into that season, the old wind and the old waves rose up and the worry came up and drug you under the surface because of worry? Worry can cause us uh, to quit or downgrade expectations. Worry can drive us beyond the pace of God's leading. And I wrote this down. Why is that important? Because God's peace is what keeps God's pace. In 50 years on this planet and almost 30 years of doing ministry, um, 25 years of marriage, everybody <laughs> says that's the most significant. I have found that I make more mistakes when I move outside of God's peace. And how many of you have lived long enough to realize that God's leading, really the trick of walking with God is to find his pace? Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, he said, uh, if you live in the spirit, we should also walk in the spirit. The NIV translates that scripture, keep step with the spirit. And so I have found it, when I miss it in life, it's usually because I step beyond what God is doing or I'm too slow with his moving. But the peace of God is what keeps the pace of God in my life. What does it have to do with worry? When worry begins to consume me, it begins to uh, blind me to the peace of God. And so I end up either walking too far ahead or lingering too far behind. Worry unchecked can uh, keep me out of the pace of God by taking the peace of God. Uh, Worry can drive us... Or it can tempt us to mistrust those that God has sent to help us, often driving us into unhealthy seasons of isolation. Or it can drive us to trust the wrong people whom the enemy has sent to distract us and in some cases destroy us. Worry can cause us to attempt to control what we should release and release what we should hold. And it can blind us to divine opportunities in the moment. It can lead us to comparison traps that cause us to place the ladder of success against the wrong building. And as Stephen Covey said, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. And worry can choke the word God sows into our hearts, making it unfruitful. Isn't it interesting Jesus said, and I've never looked at it from this perspective before until recently, but... He said the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I want to look at that scripture. Let's go to that scripture there. Next slide. We behind a little bit. Give a hand to Levi back there who has the 
unbelievable job of having to follow me. He's doing awesome. Yeah. And by the way, we, we've kind of went, so you can go back and listen to these. We go into depth on this, but I did wanted to kind of touch on it. Jesus said the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. I, I think I've always kind of tracked with the idea that the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things can choke the word. But have I ever thought about the fact that worry can choke the word of God in my life? This parable, Jesus said, if you understand this parable, you understand all the parables. And what is amazing here is I think he tells us powerful rules for how God works. He says God gives a word. On one type of ground, the word doesn't even penetrate the surface. On the next type of ground, uh, it begins to, it's unable to build roots. But it is possible for a word, and this is what this describes, for the word to begin to grow roots in my life but never bear fruit in my life. Do you know how frustrating it is to live with a word that has been rooted, but there's no fruit? It's less frustrating for the word to never penetrate. Have you ever had God drop a word in your life that got rooted, but it didn't bring forth fruit? And one of the things, this kind of feels like a funeral, it's going to get better. One of the things... One of the things that can choke a word in our life is worry. I'm trying not to get stuck here, but illustrate it this way. Jesus gives Peter a word, step out of the boat. How many know that's a word that has power to give him the ability to do something supernatural? He gets out of the boat and he begins to walk and then worry about winds and waves, choke the word that seconds ago had resulted in a supernatural thing. And so now he has a rooting of an expectation, but the inability to bear fruit because worry took over where trust was. I think this is pretty good. So worry can choke the word. And then, uh, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to discipline myself. So is it any wonder that Paul wrote, do not be anxious about anything? But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And is it any wonder that Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Some, some of the women out there are saying, you should see how my husband dresses. But, you know, the scripture doesn't say you can't worry about how your husband dresses. Just your dress. That was a joke. You can. I like last week, like Jeb Bush. Please clap. Please clap. <laughs> Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And at the root of worry is this, that we do, we do not comprehend how valuable we are to God. The truth is, in every worry point, God has an invitation to build a stronghold of trust. At every place right now that you see a continual pattern of worry, you should begin to understand that's where God is inviting you to have a continual pattern of trust. Listen, parents tend to worry about their children. 
And how many of you found the worries multiply as they get a little bit older? But you know, in every point, I almost called this message the war on worry, but I thought it sounded too stressful. But perhaps we need to consider making war on worry. Because I think our, our passivity allows worry to choke things where God wants them to live. And if we would start to see that every place the enemy is sowing worry in my life is also an invitation where God wants to build a stronghold of trust in my life, I think we can begin to turn the, t- turn the tide and begin to see God do powerful things. Somebody say amen if you believe that. In every worry point, God has an invitation to build a stronghold of trust. And embedded in trust are these things. When you move into this arena of trust, out of worry, here's some things that happen. Number one is this. You begin to see the things God has created for you to experience. How many of you got some things that God has created for you to experience? Amen? The second thing is is that embedded in that trust is the person God has created me to become. I will never become the person that God has created me to become if I am consumed with perpetual worry. Because he did not create me to live in fear. He has created me to live in trust. I will never be the husband that I am supposed to be to Bryn if I've got strongholds of worry in my life. Amen? But if I can learn how to let God build trust in me, I become the person he's created me to be. You will never have the pastor you need if I don't have the war of worry operating in my life. Because listen, I'm going to tell you, this pulpit doesn't save you from problems. This pulpit can magnify problems. Listen, everybody's saying, God, use me in what you want. You know, let, let what you want to occur in my life. Please let me be used by God. When you pray that prayer, you need to then pray this prayer. And God, replace worry with the kind of trust that can walk with you in whatever you've called me to do. I'm going to tell you, in, the, in pulpits or in businesses, there are CEOs that are in the purpose of God. There are pastors in the purpose of God. There are individuals in the purpose of God, and yet they are motivated by worry when they should be motivated by a growing trust. Worry will keep me from becoming the person God has created me, but trust will begin to allow me to become it. And then thirdly is this, is when I begin to trust, embedded in that trust is the legacy the enemy fears. Give me this little guy. I'm one of those. I know this drives people crazy. Why do I need to go trust, build trust? Because of this guy right here. My decisions are building a legacy. Come help me and hold him. What is the legacy that God has for you that the enemy is trying to undo? Could it be that what you are battling today is not just about today. It is about generations to come. Could it be that the battle for my faith is not about this week, it's about this little guy moving into a place in God that I can give him the ability to get there, amen? And could it be that the enemy is wanting to keep me in worry, not because he's trying to give me a bad day, but he fears what is in this little guy concerning his future. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? Our legacy matters. Therefore, our hearts matter because the degree of the trust of God in my heart will determine that which God can do in generations to come. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Somebody give God praise you. Please. Please, Jeb Bush, clap for me a little bit here today. All right. So how do we, um, 
I'll say this too. We pray for defining moments. God answers with refining moments. For years I prayed, God, give me defining moments in my life. And you know what God answered with? Refining moments. Because in order to do what I'm called to do, I've got to become what I've been called to be. Our culture puts an emphasis on personality. God always puts an emphasis on character. Because if I can become whom God has created me to be, everything I need to do will automatically be accomplished. Do you remember David? David said, God said about David, he has a heart after mine. And then he said, because he has a heart after mine, he will do all of my will. The best gift that I can give my wife, my children, my grandchildren, is a heart that says, God, please refine me. God, refine your character in me. Refine your trust in me. Deliver me from the fearful worry points that cause me to miss the steps of God. Everybody want to know how to turn those worry points into trust points? Let me ask you this. How many of you could raise your hand and say right now, I could, if, and I'm not going to call on you, but if you were up here, you could say, I, I could name right away three worry points in my life. I'm not going to call you up here. Raise your hand just by saying, yes, I agree with that in principle. How do we turn worry points into trust points? Uh, number one is refuse to be anxious. By identifying yourself as such. Instead, be a believer. I want you to see the scripture. Do not. It doesn't mean worry doesn't come. It doesn't mean situations don't trigger responses. It just means at some point in your war on worry, you have made a decision that worry is not going to define one ounce of who I am. I'm not going to be anxious. I am going to be a believer. You study the New Testament, Christians were referred to as the believers. Everybody say, I was born again to believe. The second thing is this, is practice proactive, interactive prayer in the midst of every worry point. Here's where I wanted to get to today. So all of that was my little introduction. At the root of worry is the idea that God doesn't truly care about. Whatever it is I'm worrying about. And so I therefore have to save myself in that area. How many of you believe that? The only reason I'm stressing and trying to figure out what's this going to look like and what's going to happen and what am I going to do and what are they going to say and how am I going to respond and how are they going to position themselves and how am I going to position myself and maybe I might even have to lie a little bit to make this thing work out and how am I going to manage all of this is because I'm not truly convinced that God even cares about this situation. All of us have unevangelized portions of our human soul. How many of you are saved today? Raise your hands. You know you're saved. From what? From what? Saved from sin, saved from hell, saved from all of those things which we are saved from. 
But how many of you would raise your hands and say, but there are areas I'm not sure that my mind has caught up with the reality of what I've been saved from? At the root of worry is the idea that God doesn't truly care about whatever it is I'm worrying about. I think sometimes the reason why we're not, we think that God doesn't care about it is because maybe we think we've earned this mess. And we've built this mess. And therefore God is somehow distant saying, why don't you clean that thing up yourself since you messed it up. All that worry is, is a place that we haven't, the Holy Spirit hasn't built trust in yet. Next slide. But at the root of prayer, true biblical prayer, which is the antidote for worry, is the idea that God does care about everything I care about. And that if I bring my cares to him, he will provide saving answers. I want you to see this both to the situation over which I'm stressing and the stressing itself. Because it is possible for God to bring a miracle of healing in your body, but not, listen, but you're still not free of the stress of getting sick again. It is possible for God to move a mountain, but I've got the stress of that mountain that moves into my next season. I don't know about you, but I want to be more than just free from stuff. I want to be free on the inside from a worry that steals my sleep, steals my joy, keeps me from being present when I'm in the moment. Listen, I don't want to look back in 15 years and say, I just missed 15 years of my grandchild's life because when I was with them, I was more concerned about things that hadn't happened that I'm afraid could happen. And I was so consumed with worry that I missed the joy in the moment. Am I talking to anybody else in here today? I want to be free from worry. I want to see it as an enemy. I want to see it as something defeated. I want to see it as something contrary to the will of God. And I want to replace it with a growing trust so I can believe not only will God set me free from the thing, he can set me free from the stress of that thing so it doesn't torment me or generations to come. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Man, I don't want to make decisions out of fear. I don't want to lead you out of fear. I don't want to, I don't want to preach out of fear. I don't want to live out of fear. I don't want to have a relationship with my wife out of fear. I want to have, I want to live in such a way. And I'm going to tell you this. Listen, if it was possible, if it was not possible for us to move into this place of being worry-free, Paul would not have written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen, do not be anxious for anything. And Jesus wouldn't have said, do not worry about your life, what you're going to put on. The fact that he put it in the book is proof that God is saying, I've got an invitation, listen, where you're not going to live a life free of storms because storms will come. And I can't tell you there won't be people that betray you and mess over your life, but I can tell you this, you can live in such a way that it doesn't grip your heart and steal your sleep and cloud your future and rob joy from your present and move you from a place of peace that keeps you in God's pace. I want to free you on the inside so the outside is no longer your Lord, but I'm the Lord that brings you into every place that you're called to walk. Somebody say amen if you believe that. All right, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Okay. Next slide. Next slide. 
Cast all your anxiety on him because it's killing you. That might be true. But, but that's not what the Holy Spirit says. Cast all your anxiety on him because he... Oh, man, if we could ever grasp that. He cares for me. Anything I care about, he cares about. Now, I know that's true because of the scripture. I also know that's true because if you have children, you know if it matters to them, it matters to you. What type of cheese sandwich they eat at lunch suddenly becomes important. Me? I don't really care what kind of cheese sandwich they eat. But you're, if they're parent, you care. What type of toys they want? What type of clothes they wear? Why? Because the relationship is what drives the care. The love is what drives the scope of the care. My daughter here, when she first brought uh, Ezra home, all of a sudden she noticed things in the house that none of us had ever noticed. The, the little edges. She starts seeing life through Little bowling balls that walk through the house and destroy things. Isn't that true? Listen, when you become a parent, your perspective of life changes where you see through little eyes. Suddenly what's coming through on the TV set matters. Might not matter to you, but I, I can't have my kid watching that. We got jagged edges. We got, we got a, and she wanted to put some like bumpers and things like that, and I'm like... We need all that. And then he started walking. I think we need more than that. I'm just saying. <laughs> if it matters to you, it matters to God. So one of the way, when God begins to remove worry from us, here, here's, here's part of the problem. We read scriptures like that and we get worried that we're worrying. I'm very much worried that I have a worry problem. And now I'm worrying about not being able to worry. It is a great concern to me. And, and the way that we begin to be changed, and, and let me say this too, what's a proper way to look at this? Because expectations matter. If, if I could bring you up here and cast the worry out of you, I'd have a deliverance service and we get free of worry in one meeting. How many of you'd love that? But it's not the way it works. I mean, you might have a spirit that this, that's, you know, affecting your life, and we can lay hands on you, and we command that spirit to go. But if you don't have things fundamentally changed on the inside of your soul, you will walk out there, and that spirit will latch right back, maybe even with some buddies. And so at the root of worry is this whole idea, I'm not sure that he cares for me. But think about this. The love that you have for a child is just the beginning point of God's love for you. How do we know that? Jesus said, hey, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father forgive you? And again, why does it matter? Because we make stupid decisions when we worry. We put up stupid posts when we worry. We respond to comments we shouldn't even respond to when we worry. We make bad financial decisions when we worry. He cares for me. Therefore, I can cast my anxiety upon me. Let me go through this in the next couple of minutes. 
And I want to get down to what I feel, and I feel this is for somebody today. I was walking out the door, and these were fresh off the press notes. Occasionally, as I'm getting ready to leave, something will come. I've got to go back and change my notes. So that's what I'm going to give you here in a minute. But I want to talk about proactive, interactive prayer. Paul said, do not be anxious for anything but. And he tells you how to begin to deal with worry. In every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But have you ever prayed and felt worse after you prayed? Have you ever prayed and after you prayed, like, as you hear yourself saying what you're going through, you're saying, that's pretty bad. (laughs) Because it is possible to pray in fear rather than trust. Because we don't understand how prayer should work. Prayer should be relational, interactive. Me giving things to God and receiving something back from Him. Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21. I'm going to read this. I'm going to draw out some principles, uh, and then we'll let you go home. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Everything's good so far, right? As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Uh, Translated saying this, we're sick of the crowds. We don't have any food for them. We're not quite sure what to do. We can't send them away, but Jesus, you need to send them away. That's what's going on. This is a high stress situation. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now this lower stress has become real stress because how in the world are we going to feed 5,000 people, which is about 15,000 people with children and, and families? Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children and the end happy ending. But how many know to get to that happy ending, there was some stress in between. I want to pull out some principles from this, and I want to talk to you about the type of proactive prayer that begins to cut the root of worry in every worry point in your life. One of the reasons why we continue to worry is we don't take the issue to prayer. We continue to stew in the worry. But Paul said if you will pray, then you can begin to change things. The first thing is this in proactive prayer is to engage the problem. Everybody say engage the problem. Count the crowd, count the fish. Do you have some things you worry about in your life and you really don't want to count the crowd and count the fish? How many got some things you're not quite sure how bad it is, but you know it's bad and you just kind of kind of leave it over there and let it linger? One of the ways that you begin to combat worry, if you're really serious about cutting the power of worry in your life, you've got to count the crowd and you've got to count the fish. At some point, listen, how can you cast cares onto Jesus if you don't even count the cares? How can we let Jesus have the problem if we won't even engage the problem? And one of the things that happens when we get under stress is we want to deny or ignore or hope that it will go away. 
But I have found in my life, one of the things that helps me move through great worry is being proactive and saying, you know what, I'm going to engage this thing. This thing is not going to be a clutter in my life. I'm not letting it rot in the corner. I'm going to bring it into the presence of Jesus and say, here's the deal. There are 15,000 people out there. I have no clue how to settle this problem. And oh, by the way, I've got five loaves and two fish. I'm going to tell you, God, there is no way on my own that I can even get this thing moving. But that's why I'm here in prayer. Listen, prayer is not just about going in and wearing a a mask before God and hoping that somehow God in his great wisdom might do something out there. I thank God for a Jesus that has invited me. Bring your stuff. Bring your junk. Bring your cares. But when you come, bring it all. Don't leave anything out there because when you leave it out there, what you've told me is this. You're not sure that I care about that. But I care about it enough. I want every fish, every loaf, every aspect of the problem. I want you to bring it here so you can then cast it on me. But please, whatever you do, don't downgrade it. Don't make it simpler than it is. Bring all the junk and get it at my feet. And if you'll do that, we can start a prayer that will shake earth and shake heaven and begin to cut the worry from your heart. Oh, somebody say amen if you believe that. How many got some issues in your life right now and you really don't even want to peek under that hood to see how bad it is? Can I tell you, peek under the hood, but do it in the presence of Jesus. Drive that car right up into heaven's garage and say, Jesus, we got some problems because this thing's sputtering and there's smoke coming out from under the hood. But I'm tired of driving it, hoping that somehow the car will get better on its own. I'm bringing it to the mechanic. And while I'm here, fix it all. Here's what I see, God. Here's my heartache. Here's the problem. I've only got five loaves and two fish and there's 15,000 people, but I'm going to bring it to the one that knows what to do with it. I'm going to count the fish. I'm going to count the crowd and I'm going to let you have all of it. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Second point is this. Put the situation, the little that's in your hands and your anxiety about it in the hands of Jesus. You know what? It's interesting. Jesus forced them to define the problem. He said, you give them something to eat. All we have is this. He said, good, bring it to me. And when he said, bring it to me, he wasn't just saying, I want the fish. I want the fish and the anxiety about it. How does that translate in prayer? That means when... When Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That means that I'm going I'm to make a decision at every worry point, And you've got to do this in real time. Listen, I'm giving you something right now. This, you can come to an altar and commit to it, but you've got to commit to this on Tuesday when the worry point comes. When the fear comes. Maybe your worry point visits you at 2 a.m. Maybe your worry point visits you at 9 a.m. on a Monday. Maybe it comes in discrimination. I don't know when it comes. I just know this. When it comes knocking at the door, you've got to say, thank you. Come right on in. I'm going to lay you before the feet of Jesus, and then I'm going to give the situation. I'm going to talk about what I have in my hands, and I'm going to put it in the hands of Jesus. 
Now, the third point here, I believe, might be the most important. Because often we have put things in the hands of Jesus. And we've just walked away. They could not feed the crowd without Jesus. Jesus would not feed the crowd without them. I have found that worry gets under my feet when I become spirit-led proactive. Because at at the heart of worry is not only the idea that God doesn't care, at the heart of worry also is this idea there's nothing I can do about But what I love what Jesus did here was this. He said, you give me all of it, and I'll give you part of it. And you just take what I give you and work what I give you. Don't work anything else. Work what I give you. I'll do the miracle, but you got to do something. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried I might lose the job. I give it. I bring it to your feet. You know my bad boss. You know he's a horrible boss. You know that, he's, that this is a horrible situation. And then you wait before God and he hands you back this. Show up to work on time. Have a better attitude. See, prayer is... The only prayers that are powerful are the ones that we are willing to be an answer for. Work only the things he puts back into your hand. God, I don't know what to do in that situation. Just do this. One, he just started tearing that fish off. He didn't give him the whole thing back. He said, take that to the crown. Now take this to the crown. And as they begin to do the little things he gave back, suddenly 15,000 people were fed because they gave it all to him. But then they took what he gave back and only worked what he put into their hands. Can I tell you, part of the power of prayer is not just casting a care upon God. It's then sitting and waiting for an instruction as to what, if anything, you want me to do next. I'll say amen to that one if nobody else. Good preaching, Pastor Matt. I got 10 minutes, and here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to walk through. These are my out-the-door notes. You ready? These are hot off the press. What are some of the root causes of worry? One is that we focus on too many things. Why is it important that I only work what he puts back into my hand? Because often we worry because we're focused on too many things. If you want to, you go to the circus, the, the reason they can keep the lion paralyzed is because they take a stool that has three prongs on it and they put it in the lion's eyes and he's not sure what to focus on and it paralyzes the lion. I wonder if the lion in us has been paralyzed because we've been focused on too many things. Let me show you a scripture, and this jumped out at me last week, and we'll move through this quickly. Look at this. Look at this. Martha was distracted by all the preparations, Mary and Martha, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus said this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about... Next verse. But are needed. 
In my life, when I'm worried, one of the things I found that helps me is to begin to get into the presence of God and say, God, am I worrying about things that don't even matter? Do I have too many focus points in my life that are stealing the energy out of me and that are paralyzing the lion of the call in my life, paralyzing the lion of faith in my life? Could it be that sometimes we are worried is because we have too many cares? I felt this, and put this scripture, or put this next slide up. Put this next slide up. How do you deal with mental clutter? Clean it up. I wonder if sometimes our faith isn't working because we got too much mental clutter. Think about Mary and Martha. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, I want, have you ever screamed at your Bible like you wanted to yell at the people in the Bible? I'm like, yeah, Martha, Martha, Jesus is in your house. I mean, we know this is a moment, one moment in a lifetime. He is in your house. He is teaching in your front room, and you're worried about dishes? But how many of us miss our moments because Jesus is there wanting to speak to us, wanting to slow us down, and we're so worried about the good things that we miss the one thing. Because there are so many things vying for our attention that if we are not careful, the mental clutter in our soul keeps us so worried that we miss the small voice of God. You know what? I was thinking about the whole concept of mental clutter. How many find it better when you clean up the house, you're, you're at peace? How many got little people running around your house stealing your peace every single day? How many got some big people stealing your peace every day? I mean, it's proven when you begin to, right? When you begin to organize things, your mind is at peace. And many times we organize the outer world, but we haven't organized our inner world. You ever come in after a party? I'm saying a godly Christian party with Cokes and pizzas. You ever come in after a, a godly Christian party? And here's your nice home, and you got pizza boxes, and maybe somebody left pizza on the, you know, somebody, we remain nameless, somebody left pizza, a slice of pizza up on the counter, I don't know who would ever do that. And so you've got pizza here on the counter, you've got chairs out of place, you've got all types of things that steal the peace from your home. And you can sit there, and you can, you'll be stressed the entire day until you do what? Until you begin to throw the junk out and put everything else in its place. I wonder how many of us are worried because we have the junk from previous seasons that are still on the counter, and they're stressing us out, but they have no purpose in this season. Somebody say amen. I wonder if some of us are missing the voice of God because of a pizza box. I wonder if some of us are missing the pizza of God and the word of God because we're busy in the kitchen. Listen, because we didn't clean it up and get ready to hear the voice of God. I don't know about you, but I want to, listen, I want to take a sword of the word of God and I want to cut at the root of worry so I can hear what God says about my life, about my family, about my body, about my ministry, about what is next, about my grandkids. I don't want to live my life so cluttered in my mind that I miss what God's doing. 
doing in the moment. Am I talking to anybody here in this room? I'm telling you it is time for us to throw the junk out. Listen, I hear the Holy Spirit is saying, I give you permission to throw the junk of that previous season into the trash can, get it off of, get the clutter out. And not only that, some of us, listen, we get the clutter out, but we don't move the things back into their place. You ever been through a season where, man, the couch got put in the wrong place? What is the placement? Your priorities. How do I declutter my mind? I begin to say, Jesus, what should be first? Man, some of us go through, come through seasons and, and we're there and we've cleaned up the clutter, but you begin to look around, you see your placement is wrong. I want the, listen, I want the chair where the chair should be. I want the family where the family should be. One promise I make to you as a pastor of this church is we will never build a house here where your families become second. We will never build a house here where your peace becomes second. We will never allow an atmosphere here where the priorities are what are. Because listen, if we're not a healthy people, we cannot fulfill the purpose of God. And some of us have come through seasons we are burnt out. And the reason we are burnt out is not because we're not following the call of God. It's just that the placement is not right. You've got the chair where the couch should be and the couch where the TV should be. You've got, listen, but when things are right and prioritized right, when we clean up the clutter... There's a peace of God that begins to come. Worry begins to become less. I can trust more because I'm only focused on the things that matter. Somebody say amen. Somebody give God a hand if you believe that. Oh, one minute. Lord, what can you do with one minute? And I hear the Lord say, a day is with the Lord is a thousand years. I'm just kidding. I'm not going long. I'm not going long. We lose our focus. And I'll just give these to you it, uh, as kind of a preview. We focus on results that are outside of our hands. A root of worry is when we focus on results that are outside of our hands. Have you ever focused on things outside of your ability to change? Raise your hands, every single one of us, uh, if we're human. Or a failure to focus on the things that are in our hands. A focus rooted in the wrong why. I just got to stop because we're going to have to come back and talk about that one. I find that often my worry is the result of wrong motives. <laughs> I think it's possible, Rob, to be in the right calling with wrong motives. And because there's wrong motives, and I care about the wrong audience, that I can never please, and I'm not built to please, that I am worrying where I should be trusting. Put the scripture up, and we'll, we'll close with this nice little word. <laughs> next, next slide. The fear of man brings a snare. But 
whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Part of turning a worry point into a trust point is asking God to show you places where you're pleasing others at the expense of pleasing him. I wonder if our social media culture is killing us. Can I say that? I'm not talking about you putting kids, grandkids and kids. In. It, it could be a powerful tool. But, but they, they say the studies are that uh, these likes can be like a, a dopamine. Uh, it could be like a high. What it shows, though, is this whole thing of worry based in me trying to please people who can never be pleased. And sometimes the root of worry is I have the wrong why. I'm doing what I should do, but I'm doing it for the wrong why. I'm serving God, but am I really serving God? Or is it to please voices? And hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying we don't all fall into this. But I'm saying if I want to be free to live the life of trust, I've got to be open to allow the Holy Spirit to shed the light on my motives. And listen, wrong motives aren't always because we want to have the wrong motives. It's we've been trained to have wrong motives. If I preach for your approval versus his, then you can affect the word. Amen? Amen. If whatever it is substituted in, as a, as a father, as a friend, in, in my job, if I'm doing noble things for the wrong audience, it'll bring a snare. It'll bring a snare. But there's a freedom breakthrough in trust to where I can be completely free to say I care about people, but God, I ultimately care about your opinion. And I... I'm going to please the one who's already pleased with me. I'm going to have joy regardless of results. I'm going to have joy regardless of whether I make 50000 or 250000 or 550000 because I'm not living. Some of that status stuff that we have is killing us because we, it's a fear of man that we are working. Listen, I'm going to be joyful whether we have 175 here or 275 or 1,000 here because if our goal becomes just the results, we miss the moment of what God wants to do. Is there anybody here what I'm talking about today? And how many you say, I want worry. I want to be free from this worry that is not from God. Listen, I want to have a great marriage, not because so you can think that I have a great marriage. Come on here. I, I want to ha have a great marriage because I want my wife to be blessed. I want God to be pleased. Does that make sense? I don't want this to, listen, we're not living in a fishbowl. I want it to be real. I want it to be right. I want my kids to, listen, they'll know it. I want, th I want them to be 
be loved, not because of what you think. Listen, my devotion is to my kids and my grandchildren because of what God thinks. Amen? I want us to bless you, but if I'm just trying to live up here in a performance mentality, or if you're just trying to live in a performance mentality in whatever context you're in, it will rob your joy. It will steal your strength. And watch this. You will be motivated by fear rather than walking in faith and open yourself up to not only, listen, a lifestyle that kills you, but the voice of the enemy that will drive you where God wants to lead you. But I hear God saying there's a better way. There's a life that he died for us to have. There is a resurrection life of joy and strength and empowerment where we can build strong churches, we can build strong families, we can build strong lives and not stress in the process because it's his work and his joy and his life and his results that mean anything anyhow and therefore I'm going to uproot that fear of whatever it is and I'm going to embrace the purpose and the work of God and the joy of God in the process. Somebody say amen if you believe that. So I just got to close. You say, do you worry about that stuff? Not like I used to. But remnants can come. Let me just close with this. If I am living, if my motivation for living holy is you, I've missed the purpose. If my motivation for loving my wife is even her, I've missed the purpose. But when my motivation is him, it takes a stress off her. It takes a stress off me. Man, when I live for this audience of one, that Jesus said, I want somebody to do the dishes, but not now. And the reason you can't see not now is because you're so worried about the dishes, because you're worried about performing, and you're worried that I don't care because you're worried about your sister, and all that kind of drama. And really what's going to heal you is just to say this, there's just one thing that matters. Just one thing that matters. You know what that frees you to? It frees you to enjoy the moment. Because really, do, we, do any of us even know if we have another moment here? I can go to heaven from worry, but I, I don't want to be, I don't want to go to heaven in a moment of worry and miss anything that God has for me here. Does anybody get anything out of this today? Stand with me if you will. Stand with me if you will.